Well, good morning. My name is David, and I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, as we get started, I want to first thank Josh and Brett for preaching the last couple of weeks. Uh, that enabled me to go on vacation and actually be on vacation instead of working somewhere else. Um, you guys probably know a little bit of what that's like, uh, so I appreciate that. It also helped me get ready for our high school advance event that was supposed to be on the 7th. Ended up getting moved to this past Friday, and so I have a, I have a role essentially with student ministries, so that helped me uh, be able to prepare for that. I also want to thank Cole for being here and for leading worship. Uh, it was fun for me to have him here. I was his counselor in junior high camp about seven or eight years ago. Um, that was back when he was shorter than me. Believe it or not, that, that happened at one point in history. Um, now all of the Joneses are taller than me, even the littlest that's in middle school, by the way. We found that out last Friday, so congratulations to all the Joneses. Um, not, much of a, not really much of a mile marker to pass, I guess. But um, anyway, so I was his counselor way back in the day. We've... Uh, uh, had a, a, a long friendship, and today is actually Cole's last Sunday on staff here at Bridgewater. He's going to be moving to uh, Columbus, Ohio to be a worship resident at a church there, uh, and we are so excited for him and proud of him, and I know God's going to do great things through him there at uh, the Capitol Church in Columbus. Uh, Luke, who normally leads worship here, is visiting our Vestal campus. Uh, we are one church in many locations, and we truly believe that we are better together. Uh, and so we highly encourage people, and especially our leaders, uh, to get around and visit our other campuses. It's so good for us because we're able to see uh, how God is work at, at, at work at that campus as well, uh, to be an encouragement and be encouraged by people uh, at that campus, and maybe even steal some ideas of what they do that maybe we could do. Um, and it just really, it makes us better. We truly believe that we're better together. Uh, and so that's why Luke is away this week. He's visiting our Vestal campus, and I'm sure he'll come back um, with some ideas and encourage from being there. Well, today we're going to be wrapping up our series called Unoffendable. We're looking at the reality that we live in this world that is just full of offense. In fact, it seems like we are becoming more and more easily offended. People get uh, upset about just about anything now. We'll get offended by something that happens across the world that has absolutely nothing to do with us. Somehow we'll get offended by it. We've all seen it, and if we're honest, I think we've all been involved in some way. Like, if I can be real with you this morning, uh, this happens to me more than I'd like to admit. I can get offended over some pretty petty and some pretty insignificant things, things that really don't matter that much. So, for example, this morning, uh, in our house, I am the one that, uh, that, that does the dishes. And I get really, really offended when my wife decides that she's going to dirty every single pot and pan and measuring cup and every utensil she can find in the house as she is making dinner. I swear some nights that she is like, hmm, how can I dirty one more dish so that my husband has to clean one more dish? I swear that's her goal sometimes. Now, hopefully we can laugh at that. Now, I know in reality, I know my wife loves me. I know that she would not intentionally do something to make my life miserable. And in five years of marriage, she has never treated me that way. But if I'm not careful, I can get this narrative in my head where I actually start to believe that she's doing it on purpose. And maybe we can laugh at that. It's like, bro, it takes 20 minutes to do the dishes. Like, why don't you get over it, man? But if we're not careful, if we, don't leave, if we leave that unchallenged, it's those types of things that can grow and grow and grow, and all of a sudden it ruins a marriage, it ruins a relationship, it tears apart a family. It's often over these small, seemingly insignificant, maybe petty things that can grow into this monster that takes over our life. 
And so in this series, we've been looking at how can we be unoffendable. I'm looking at how we can respond in those moments when people hurt us or when people offend us, whether on purpose or not. And we've been saying all along that offense is an event. It is going to happen. There's going to just be things in our life that offend us and hurt us, but offended is a choice. When something like that comes into our life, we have a choice to make whether or not we are going to be offended. So we've been looking at three choices so far in this series, so let, let me review those for you. We can choose to build a bridge and tear down walls through forgiveness. Choosing to go on a rescue mission instead of a hunting expedition like we often want to do. And last week we talked about choosing to say no to your ego and yes to humility. You remember Brett up here with the massive balloon behind him, right? Maybe not remember what he said, but you remember that massive balloon, right? <laughs> well, today we're going to look at the final choice we can make in the face of offense. But before we get there, I want to ask you a question. What's your natural response when someone hurts you or offends you? It's to respond in kind, right? It's to somehow get back at them, whether that's through the silent treatment or through ignoring them or through blowing up in their face or trying to find some way to insult them. Like somehow we want to repay them in kind for how they hurt us. Why is that? When we're offended, we want to hurt in response because we're looking to protect ourselves. All of us are constantly looking for safety and stability, whether we realize it or not. And when someone offends us, one of the only things we know how to do is to just get back at them. It's almost like this uh, animal instinct in, in, inside of us that says, I need to protect myself, and so I'm going to get back at them. But if we're going to be unoffendable, we need to find a different path. If we want to be people who are just hurt all the time, constantly offended, constantly offending others. If we want to walk around with that massive balloon behind us, can't even get up the aisle without knocking 15 people in the head. If we want to live that kind of life, then we can just keep responding how the world does, like everybody around us does, constantly being offended and offending others. But if we want a life that's full of joy and peace and relationships that are strong and actually life-giving and fun, then we have to choose to take a different path, the path that God lays out for us. And so if we're going to be unoffendable, our last choice for this series, we need to choose radical love over self-preservation. Self-preservation comes naturally to us. We're naturally just going to be looking out for ourselves. That's just human instinct. But if we want to have that kind of life we were talking about, then we need to choose radical love Instead, And while it's not the easy path, it is the path that God calls us to and he shows us how to walk in time and time and time again in the Bible. And there's a lot of places where we could look, but one of the most graphic is in the Old Testament book of Hosea. Uh, if you have, that's where we're going to be in our Bible today. And so if you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn there. You'll find that towards the, uh, almost the end of the Old Testament. And if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one back at our Welcome Center for free. Hosea was a prophet, a man who was charged with relaying God's mess, uh, a message from God to the people of Israel. And in one particularly uh, offensive portion of their history, God decided that he was going to deliver a message with skin on it. He asked Hosea to demonstrate his approach to offense by marrying someone who was going to offend him. He told Hosea to marry a promiscuous woman who was not going to stay faithful to him. And that sounds like a pretty crazy assignment from God, right? But there was a purpose to this. 
This marriage, Hosea's marriage to Gomer is her name, represented the relationship that God had with Israel. God was in this, in this uh, illustration, God is uh, Hosea and Israel is Gomer, this unfaithful woman. And God decides to pursue them anyway. You see, Israel had been not staying faithful to God. Instead of being faithful to the one who had provided for, protected them, the people decided they were going to follow after other gods. They had abandoned God and they had gone their own way. They were seeking after selfishness and pride and the love of money and so many other things. And in the middle of this, God decides to deliver a message to them. Hosea chapter 1, starting in verse 2. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. And so he married Gomer, daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. And that day I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, call her Lo-Ruhamah, which means not Loved, for I will no longer show love to Israel that I should at all forgive them. Yet I will show love to Judah, and I will save them, not by bow, sword, or battle, or by horses and horsemen, but I, the Lord their God, will save them. After she weaned Lo Ruhamah, Gomer had another son. Then the Lord said, Call him Lo Ami, which means not my people, for you are not my people and I am not your God. Wow, those are some really strong words, aren't they? Some really strong words from God. And God is literally telling Israel, you are not my people. I am not going to show you love anymore. That is how bad things have gotten. God is talking like he's going to throw in the towel in his relationship with Israel. Have you ever gotten to that point in a relationship where you've tried and tried and tried, and you've put your best effort in, but time after time after time, they just keep rejecting you, abandoning you, forgetting you, hurting you in some way. Sometimes we get there for selfish reasons, but God actually has a very legitimate re reason for feeling this way. The people had gotten so far from him, and it was time for something to change. You see, God loved them enough to give them consequences for choices that were going to lead them in the wrong way direction. But he doesn't just leave them there in those consequences. Did you, even in the midst of these strong words, there is hope to be found. Did you notice verse seven? Yet I will show love to Judah and I will save them, not by bow, sword, or battle, or by horses and horsemen, but I, the Lord, will be their God. Jump down to verse 10. Yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called children of the living God. It almost sounds like he's contradicting himself, right? Like what's happening here? Here God is choosing to ha have radical love and he's choosing radical love over self-preservation. Even though he had every right to leave them in their sin, he decides to continue to move toward them, to continue to pursue them. He's not treating them how their actions deserve. He's choosing to love them, even though they had turned from him time and time again. Even though they'd acted like his enemy, he chose radical 
love. And so what about us? What do we do when people hurt us, when they offend us? Big question for today is what does it look like to choose love when people act like our enemy? Well, first, in this story, we see that when people act like our enemy, love requires perseverance. Requires perseverance. Requires us to push through even when things get hard. In this story, God is choosing to persevere through the people's unfaithfulness to him. Instead of giving up and throwing in the towel like he had every right to do, he decided he was going to persevere in love. And when we think about it, perseverance, I think, is really at the center of what it means to love, isn't it? And if someone says they love you and yet they don't stick around when things get hard, you'd probably say that they don't love you very much and you would probably be right. That's why almost every uh, wedding vows you'll ever hear includes something like in sickness and in health. What are we saying? We're saying that we are going to stick with this through the good, through the bad. I am here for you and I am with you. That's what perseverance is. And at the end of the day, that's really what we all want in our relationships. We want the security of knowing that our friends and our family are gonna love us even if we mess up, even if we fail. We wanna know that our relationship with them isn't dependent on us getting everything right all of the time because we know that that's just not going to happen. That's an impossible weight to bear. If our relationships are so shallow that the slightest mistake is gonna ruin them, then these people probably don't love us very much because choosing love requires perseverance probably especially in the face of offense and hurt. People we are close to are often the people who can offend us the easiest, right? Like if someone I've never met walks up to me and says an insult, I'm probably like, okay, that was weird. You don't even know me. My wife walks up to me and says the exact same thing. That's probably going to ruin my day, right? So what do we do when the people closest to us, the people who we love the most, what do, they, what do we do when they offend us, when they hurt us? Well, God is calling us to persevere. It means that we don't give up on the relationship. And that doesn't mean that we don't just walk away and leave it forever, but we actually put in the hard work that it takes to continue in a relationship with that person. When our spouse offends us, perseverance requires that we take the time to forgive them and move toward them in love. And that's not easy. It's going to go against everything that are, uh, is in us because our instinct is not to do that. But if we're going to continue in this relationship in some sort of healthy way, it has to happen. There has to be forgiveness and restoration that happens. We've got to persevere. I want you to think about some people in your life who've had a big impact on you. It was a parent, coach, a pastor, a friend, a teacher in school, something like that. What, what caused them to stand out? What caused them to have an impact on your life? I'd be willing to bet that at least one of the reasons why they had such an impact on you is that they persevered even when you didn't deserve it. I look back on my life and think about all the people who have persevered in loving me. I think, I think about all that they've had to put up with and well, actually still have to put up with in order to love me. And I'm amazed that they would do that. I think back on my youth pastor. When I was in middle school and high school, decided that he was going to take the time to invest in me when I was an idiot. Like, I think back on what I was like in high school, and I'm like, bro, what were you thinking? He persevered. He loved me anyway. If we're going to persevere, it requires looking past offense 
It requires looking past the hurt. It requires being willing to move on even when they don't deserve it. Let's keep reading in Hosea to to see the next way that we can respond in the face of offense. Let's skip down to chapter 3, verse 1. The Lord said to me, go show your, your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. And so Hosea is told by the Lord to go and find his wife and show love to her, even though she has become an adulteress, even though she's been unfaithful to him. And again, this is meant to symbolize God's relationship to the Israelites. Even though they were turning from him, even though they were going after other gods and they were loving the sacred raisin cakes, which seems to uh, be a part of the worship of these other gods, even though they were doing that in that state, God decided he was going to pursue them. He was going to show love to them. He was going to restore them to himself. And in this, we find our next response. When people act like our enemy, love requires reconciliation. Reconciliation is the mending of a broken relationship. It's when there has been a wrong done that separates two people or two groups of people, but that relationship is then mended and it is then made whole again. That's what we call reconciliation. It's demonstrating love despite the hurt that happened. It's going to the person who has wronged you because you want to mend what has been broken. God does this with the Israelites. Hosea does this with his wife, and God calls us to do the same thing when we have been hurt. And so when we've been offended, even though everything in us screams to to hold that against them, to respond in kind, we need to instead take steps to restore that relationship, to mend it, to bring it back to wholeness. Even though we were wronged, we need to be willing to pursue peace with that person. And as we've talked about in this series, that's going to require some forgiveness. That might require that we deflate our ego a little bit. It's going to require that we uh, choose to go on a rescue mission instead of just a hunting expedition. But we've got to mend what has been broken. Let's keep reading in verse 2. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will behave the same way toward you. So here's Hosea, who's going to find his wife, who's been with another man, and he's literally buying her back. Imagine that for a minute, buying your own wife back when she's been unfaithful to you. And God is saying, that is how much I love you. That is how much I am going to pursue you. The people of Israel, they were unfaithful to him, and yet he chose to buy them back, to continue to pursue them. So in this, we see our final response. When people act like our enemy, love requires redemption. Requires redemption. Redemption is the delivering from bondage by paying a needed price. And just as God redeems his people and just as Hosea redeemed his wife, God calls us to redemption. If we're going to love people as God calls us to, it's going to cost us something. It's going to cost us our pride. 
It's going to cost us overlooking an offense. It's going to cost us absorbing the wrong that was done to us. Instead of holding on to that and saying, man, I'm going to use this in some further argument, or I'm going to hold on to this because it feels really good. We have to let that go. That cost us something. Love is going to cost us, especially when there's an offense. And we can't redeem people in terms of their relationship with God, but we are called to absorb the wrong and not hold it against them. And so when someone hurts you, it, it is easy, it's normal, it's even celebrated in our culture to uh, write them out of your life, maybe avoid them, block their number, post negative things about them on social media. But God is calling us to follow his example and st- instead to go on a rescue mission and to redeem them from the consequences of their own choices. Now, this doesn't mean that we enable abusers. We don't tolerate someone who's going to continually take advantage of us or of other people. If they've demonstrated themselves to be a person who's going to continually take advantage, then there's some protection that we have to put in place, right? But if they ever turn a corner and start to demonstrate that there's actually a change in their heart, we are open to forgiveness. There's ever been a person that had the right to be offended. It was Jesus, right? I mean, God in the flesh, the only perfect person who ever lived. And yet, how was he treated? He was beaten. He was called all kinds of names. He was killed on a Roman cross. All for things he did not do. I mean, talk about offensive. Talk about having a right to be offended. If there was anyone, it was Jesus. And yet, how does he respond? Time and time again, He offers people the opportunity for redemption. He does not treat them how their sins and how their actions deserve, but instead extends grace and mercy to them. One of the most compelling stories of that, I think, is found in John chapter 8. I want to read this story for you. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and sat down to teach them. Teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? So these religious leaders bring this woman who's been caught in the act before Jesus. The man is nowhere to be found, but that's another sermon for another day. The reality was this woman was guilty and she did deserve judgment according to the law. And these people wanted to hand out judgment. And when someone wrongs us, we want to do the same thing, right? Like we think we have the right to mete out judgment against them. But that's not what Jesus does. Let's keep reading. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. So Jesus tells them to look in the mirror. He says, if you're not guilty of sin yourself, then go ahead, stoner, meet out judgment. If you aren't guilty of sin, instead of treating her how her actions deserved, he tells them to extend mercy. Let's keep reading in the story in verse nine. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Jesus shows 
amazing grace and mercy to this woman. And he calls us to to do the same thing when we are wronged. Instead of stoning people as their actions deserved, instead of treating them as their, their sins have ha, deserved, we are called to pursue them in love. And you might think, I could never do that. You have no idea how much they've hurt me. You don't know how they've wronged me. You don't know my story. And you're right, maybe I don't. But what I do know is they have not hurt you as much as you have hurt God. And yet he has pursued you in love and he has shown you grace and he has shown you mercy. Until we realize that we are all a little bit like Gomer in this story, that we're all like the people of Israel, that we're all like this woman caught in adultery. Until we realized how much we have wronged God and how much it costs him to forgive us, we're gonna have a hard time extending that same forgiveness to other people in our life. We often think that we are deserving of forgiveness, but the people who wrong us aren't, right? We don't want to extend the same mercy that we enjoy and sometimes even expect for ourselves. We don't want to extend that same grace and mercy to others, but in reality, we're all in the same boat. But God decided to pursue us in love anyway. And so my question for us as we wrap up this series is this. Are you ready to set down the stones of judgment? Are you ready to stop treating people how their actions deserve, but to instead extend grace and mercy toward them like Jesus did? Are you ready to follow the example of Jesus? You're right. They don't deserve mercy, and that is the whole point. That's what mercy is. You're right. They don't deserve forgiveness. That's the whole point of forgiveness is that we never deserve it. And yet God decided to extend it to us in Jesus anyway. Jesus pursued us in love, even when we were far from him, even when we hated him. It's not like we had tried to clean up our act first. Before any of that happened, he pursued us in love. And so what does love require of you today? Maybe it's perseverance, pushing through when it gets hard. Maybe it's reconciliation, mending that brokenness in the relationship. Maybe it's redemption, being ready to just absorb that wrong and not hold it against them anymore. Whatever it is you might be facing, I know there's a Savior who loves you and who left you an example to follow. So who's that person you need to love? Who's that person you need to forgive? Don't wait until they deserve it because guess what? They won't. Pursue them in love just like Jesus pursued you. Church, I pray that we would be a people who choose love over self-preservation, that we would be such an unoffendable people that we would just stick out in our communities and people would wonder, why are they so forgiving all the time? Why are they so different? Why are they so loving and gracious? And when that happens, we'd be able to point to Jesus and just say, I'm following the example of my Savior. He forgave me of my sin and he can forgive you of yours. Let's pray as we continue our service. Father, we are so thankful that you have forgiven us. Undeserving, unworthy people like us. God, thank you for forgiving me of my sin. God, thanks for your word that deals in reality. It doesn't deal in some fantasy land that we could never compare our lives to. Sometimes it gives us stories that seem kind of striking and 
almost defensive or, or wrong. God, thank you that it deals with reality. And God, thank you that you have chosen to pursue us in love. That you have extended such radical love towards us and you continue to do that day and day again. Father, we thank you that you chose to persevere. Father, if you hadn't persevered in loving us, we would not even be here today. Father, thank you for choosing to Reconcile us to yourself, that you paid the price with your own son's life so that we could be restored to you. What had been broken by us, by our sin, you decided to pay for. Father, thank you for redeeming us. I pray that we would be a people who are so unoffendable that the world around us would wonder what our deal is, what is wrong with us, because we are so like you. Father, we thank you so much for the sacrifice of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.